0: Jesus is real There's power in your name We trust in your ways we need Jesus is
1: show up for your marriage show up for your kids show up for your job show up for the work of the Lord and yeah you're gonna have a limp but God likes his kids with a limp He likes us that way because when we're outside of what we can do, then he can do all that he wants to do. That's why I love, I love the body of Christ. I love the biblical testimony. I love the fact that God chooses the has-beens, burnouts. It's so
0: awesome. Trash art, it's a real thing. Artists use trash to make beautiful and interesting works. Well, God is kind of like a trash artist but he uses broken and hurting people to do amazing things. As Pastor Daniel shares today, God wants you to join him in what he's doing, even though you're limping and maybe broken. In fact, your inability to do it on your own opens the door for God to be big in your life. His power and love will shine brightly as you continue to press on. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Leviticus chapter 10 as he continues his message, Special fire.
1: I believe God is calling us, you and I, day in and day out, as we're convicted and pricked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, proving that we're God's kids. God says, no, no, no. No, no, that's not not who you are. That's not who I am. He's amending our ways. If you're here today and you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit today, that's proof you're God's child. You know why? Because just as a parent disciplines their kids, God disciplines us because he loves us. When I tell Obadiah he's not allowed to swing a hammer at his sister, which I caught him almost trying to do the other day, he thought it would be funny, he had a hammer. He's like, Yeah, you know, he's his boy, you know, so the swing that thing. Like, oh, buddy. When I, I do that because he's my child and I love him. I don't want him to hurt himself or his sister. And so when God's spirit pricks our hearts and says, No, 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 that's not for you. It's because he loves us. Because we're his kids. He's, re- he's responsible for our growth. And he takes that seriously. But we need to integrate the truths of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we need to integrate it. We need to put it on our feet and in our fingertips, in our minds, in our mouths. So important. Because when we live out a life knowing before whom we stand, God is held as holy in our hearts and then he'll be glorified before people in the way that we live and that we move and that we have our being. And what's interesting is you notice at the end of verse three that Aaron held his peace. So even though Aaron, and we're gonna see in a moment, was brokenhearted over the death of his sons, he held his peace because he knew that Moses was right. That what Nadab and Abihu did was against the holiness of God. It did not promote God's glory in the midst of the people, which, as we've been saying, was the priest's job, right? Their job was to represent God before the people and people before God. They had that mediatorial role, just like you and I do. Now, look at what happens in verse four. Then Moses called Mishael and Elazaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. So now Moses called upon two first cousins of Aaron to come and dispose of the bodies of Nadab and Abihu. Now, why did he do that? Because as we're going to see next chapter and going forward, that when A priest touched a dead body, they were considered ceremonially unclean. And they were not able to officiate the sacrifices. And so instead of having Nadab and Abihu's brothers, Aaron's other sons, touch these bodies and be ceremonially unclean, or having Aaron do it, they invite other people to get involved in the work to dispose of these bodies so that the temple or the, excuse me, the tabernacle sacrifices could continue. So you could suppose that these were the next of kin. And this is the only time we ever meet these guys. But they were called upon for an important reason. And I think what's beautiful is I thought about these two men. You know, it reminded me of someone like Simon the Cyrene, who all we know about him is that he carried Jesus' cross for a little ways. And what it reminds me is that each one of us is important in God's kingdom. That... Moses was Moses, and Aaron was Aaron, but Mishael and Elzaphan, they were Mishael and Elzaphan. They had work to do. And it's important for us, sometimes that they we can get so focused on, like, Aaron and Moses. I was just talking to someone like, man, you know, like, so as a pastor here, man, that must be amazing. It's like, well, no, I'm just doing what God's called me to do. And you got to do what God's called you to do. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter how much screen time you get. We all have to just do what God's asked us to do. to to just roll up our sleeves and do what's in front of us. God called Moses to do what he was doing, called Aaron. And God called upon Michelle and Elazaphan to do a certain work. So, brother, sister, whatever God's called you to do, just do it. And do it as unto the Lord. With no pretense, with no fanfare, just do what God's asking you to do. Just like these men. And they did it. They totally did it. It says, verse 5, so they went near and carried them buy their tunics out of the camp, as Moses said. Now in verse 6, Then Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. Verse 7, You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Now, so now in verse six, Moses instructs Aaron and Aaron's two surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, not to mourn the sudden death of their son and brother. So covering your head and tearing your clothes, all of those were were signs of, of mourning and grief. So I mean, imagine this if you're Aaron. You just lost two sons instantaneously at a moment of great triumph for your family. And Moses says, listen, can't mourn. Let the people mourn. You guys can't. Notice he says, you can't even leave the tabernacle courts. You're anointed for ministry. You're anointed for ministry. So he says, you need to stay right here lest you die. Don't go out. The anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. Now, I, th- I spent a lot of time with this, and I, I mean, I, when I prepared to teach, I read a lot. I read a lot of commentaries and history, and I'm always learning, but I spent a lot of time thinking to myself, man, this must have been really hard for Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar. I mean, these are little brothers. They just watched their big brothers die. Aaron just watched his eldest sons die. Why would God say, you can't mourn, but the people can I think one of the reasons God did that is because God knew that Aaron, Eliezer, and Ithamar had a very unique calling. And there wasn't any time for mourning because they had a ministry that needed to be done. And the way I want to apply this for us, I I want to be gracious because I realize if you've suffered grief or loss, that's hard. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to show up all broken. Sometimes when you just show up, God can use you, even if you're all mangled when you get there. And I think if you look in your Bibles from cover to cover, you find people who just keep showing up. I mean, think about Peter. Peter had these amazing experiences with Jesus. At Jesus' moment of need, Peter's all out of sorts. He pulls out his knife. He cuts off the high priest's servant's mouth. This is his ear. Jesus has to heal the wound that Peter inflicts, and then Peter flees, he denies Jesus. And then Jesus restores him and cooks him breakfast. You know, it's like, but Peter keeps showing up. And in Acts chapter two, when the spirit gets poured out, who's the guy who preaches? Peter. I mean, if there's anyone who wouldn't have gotten cast to be the preacher at that juncture, it was Peter. Peter. I mean, can you imagine if they were like sitting around like deciding who's going to preach on that Pentecost day and they're like, well, it can't be you, Peter, because you couldn't even say that you knew Jesus some 50 days ago when he was, when he needed you, you were saying, I don't know the guy. I don't know Jesus. Who's, you can imagine that Peter's whole life, his whole ministry, he showed up mangled. When Jesus needed me the most, I wasn't there for him, but he still showed up. Think about the Apostle Paul, who was there when Stephen was martyred. He kept showing up, wrote a 30 year New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You think about King David. He was a murderer and an adulterer. But he's called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he still kept showing up. How many of us here today have gotten mangled along life's way and you stopped showing up? A lot of us, right? I think God's word for us is we just need to keep showing up. We need to drag our mankle broken lives and show up again. Because you know what you find when you show up? God shows off. If you're willing to show up, God shows off. And you can imagine what's going to go on for Aaron And Eliezer and Ithamar, I mean, they just lost their son and their older brothers. That's not in any way an easy thing, but they're going to show up and God's going to use them still. You know why I think God wants us to show up when we're mangled? Because it says in 2 Corinthians that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Do you realize that our weak parts is God's opportunity to show his strength? We are scared of our weaknesses, but God's like, that's my sweet spot. Because where you're weak, I can be strong. Where you don't have it together, I can do what only I can do. What Satan wants to do is he wants to get us to stop showing up. He wants to say, No. No. And you're saying, I can't do it. I'm here to tell you that as a in my experience in ministry. When I just am willing to show up when I don't want to show up, that's when the magic happens. And I'll be honest, there's days I'm like, I'm just, I'm not going. I can't do it. I'm going to call in Mangold. You know, it's like, just as a human being, you're saying, I just can't do it. I'm just not, I can't. But when you show up, God does something amazing. So brother, sister, I don't know what's going on today, but it's so strongly on my heart. And just show up. And if you're here tonight or you're watching it and you haven't been showing up because you got hurt, just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm going to start showing up again. Show up for your marriage. Show up for your kids. Show up for your job. Show up for the work of the Lord. And yeah, you're going to have a limp, but God likes his kids with a limp. He likes us that way. Because when we're outside of what we can do, then he can do all that he wants today. And that's why I love, I love the body of Christ. I love the biblical testimony. I love the fact that God chooses the has-beens, the burnouts. It's so awesome. It's like when Jesus came to pick up disciples, he didn't go to the best rabbinical schools and say, who's your smartest guy? We need him. They're like, no, they got Levi, the tax collector. They got Simon, the zealot. They got two sets of brothers. You imagine they probably wrestled a lot walking with Jesus. Brothers, you know, Fishermen. Guys with calluses on their hands, not guys with manicures and degrees. All through the Bible, I mean, Moses was a murderer. I'm not saying that you should go do bad so God can use you, but God likes using the motley bunch. Why? That no flesh would glory in his presence. Why? To take the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. That's why God does it. So, brother, sister, just no matter how mangled you are, and some of us have more mangling to us than others, just show up. Say, Lord, I'm going to show up. Now, look at what happens in verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and and unholy, between unclean and clean, that, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Now, notice, the Lord is speaking directly to Aaron now. It's not going to Moses and Moses sharing it. Now the Lord is speaking straight to Aaron. And the prohibition is against wine or intoxicating drink, So any other alcoholic beverage for him or his sons when you go into the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. So now, okay, now this is important because alcoholism is a huge problem, right? It's a huge problem. Many people here had problems. You know people have had problems. But we do not want our cultures to drive what we understand to be right and wrong. We want our Bibles to do. So I'm going to, what I'm going to say now is going to be disconcerting to some. The Bible never purely prohibits the drinking of alcohol. I'm going to say that. Why? Because Jesus, they had wine. The communion table was wine. And I have a rule that I'm not going to erect a standard that would eliminate Jesus and the Apostle Paul from being a leader in our church. Okay? So notice what the prohibition is. When are they not allowed to drink wine or strong drink? When? When you go into the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. So what it's saying is that for Aaron and his sons, they are not allowed to minister at all if they've even touched alcohol. That doesn't mean that they're not allowed to have alcohol. They just can't do it in conjunction with them doing the work of the ministry. Now, with that being said, If you cannot handle alcohol, don't go anywhere near it. Not a million years. Even if Jesus did it, Because Jesus is Jesus and you are you. Okay? So if you can't handle alcohol, don't go anywhere near it. Not even close. If you feel the liberty and you can handle it, then you have to read the book of Romans. Because the law of love trumps the law of liberty. So if you have the liberty to do it, and you choose to you need to do it in a context that you don't stumble somebody else because that is a sin just the same okay so the no alcohol for the priests they were not allowed to drink and then go do the ministry that's the prohibition very very clearly now notice that this is a statute it says forever throughout your generations notice why verse 10 and this is important that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Now, what's important? There's two distinctions that need to be made between what is sacred and what is common, between what is pure and what is impure. And the priest's job were to teach the children of Israel these distinctions. Now, you have to realize that God makes distinctions. We live in a culture that doesn't like distinctions. And it's, it's a little bit illogical. Actually, it's a lot illogical. But our culture kind of values this. Where it's like everything's a gray area. Well, the reality is everything isn't a gray area. You read the creation account. God made very specific distinctions. This is light. This is darkness. This is day. This is night. This is land. And this is ocean. This is male. And this is female. So God in creation makes enormous amounts of distinctions. So God is not opposed to distinctions, even though 21st century post-enlightenment America is. Now, just as we said, we do not want our culture to drive what we understand, but the Bible, just because our culture doesn't like distinctions, doesn't mean we should buy into that. Because God says certain things are holy and certain things are not. Certain things are clean and certain things are unclean. And we have to be okay with the fact that even though maybe your friends or your teachers or your bosses don't think that there's distinctions, there are. And God is very clear about what is acceptable and what is not. And it was very important for God's priests. To make sure that they understood what was holy and what was unholy. What was clean and what was unclean. Why? That they may be able to teach people. So again, it boils down to the witness. The witness of what was going on. He wanted his priests to be good witnesses. Because their job was to be able to make these distinctions for people. And just like the priests, so true for us. We need to be able to help people understand what is holy and what is unholy. What is pure and what is impure. It's very, very important. Now, look at what happens as this chapter kind of winds to a close. It says in verse 12, And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons who were left, take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord And eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord, for so I have been commanded. The breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, and your daughters with you, for they are your due and your son's due, which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel." The thigh of the heave offering, verse 15, and the breast of the wave offering, they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire, to offer as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever as the Lord commanded. Verse 16, then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering, and there it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place, since it is most holy, and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? See, verse 18, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Look, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offerings before the Lord. And such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? Verse 20, so when Moses heard that, he was content. Notice, now we're getting back to what had begun in chapter 9. They were in the midst of all of these offerings. And so what happens is, is, Moses speaks to Aaron, and now to Eliezer and Ithamar, who are now the officiating priest with their dead Aaron. And he's saying, listen, let's make sure we finish all of these offerings. You finish offering the different offerings. Certain ones need to be eaten by the priest. You will notice that the peace offering and the breast and the thigh, they were also allowed for their daughters. So there was a question about, well, what does the families of the priest eat? Well, so there's the provision right there. It's kind of cool when you think of like the breast or the thigh of, of an offering, that's the choice meat, Right. That's right, when you guys go out and you buy your chicken, right? You buy thigh or, or, bre- or chicken breast, right? something like drumsticks, it's not bad, we like it. But the thigh and the breast are, 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 the, are the choice ones. They were for the family as well. So Moses is telling them, listen, you've got to finish this all up.
0: Jesus is... Today, Pastor Daniel shared that God loves to invite broken, messy people to join him in the amazing things he's doing. You don't have to be fixed or put together to be used by God. He'll show up for you in the midst of your brokenness. You also learned that, like the Old Testament priests, people who follow God have the responsibility to make distinctions between what is good and what isn't. Unlike our culture, God is in favor of clear distinctions and he uses them for our good. Hey everybody, I want to invite you to join me in reaching people with the message that
1: Jesus is real. Would you pray about partnering with us in the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio? Your support in this way helps us to keep sharing God's word and helps us reach more and more people. Thank you for considering partnering. Find out more at jesusisrealradio.com. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family. But I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at
0: crossroadschurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will walk you through the Old Testament dietary laws. As you go through the list of what is okay for the Israelites to eat, you'll begin to see that these laws were given to protect them. In a time before hand sanitizers and antibiotics, God gave his people dietary boundaries to keep them from eating things that could potentially make them sick or spread disease. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Cleansing. Until then, may God bless.